we're at an age right now where making a career pivot and moving across the world is so within our scope and so within our reach of things that we're able to do and there's still so much time so why the hell not We had episode to do it. 19. Episode 19. We had to do it to him. We got a big homie on the line. Very excited. Guest episode. Very excited. We got my homie, Akil Galena. The Akil Galena. What's going on? <laughs> what is Coming up? to us live from Germany. Yeah, yeah, it's nice to see you, boys. It's been a very long time. It's, this is like an international episode. This is a first, I think, we've it's ever done. So, you know, it's a historic. Yeah, I was all like, how am I going to do this online? Like, I hope my internet doesn't trip up. I think I think we'll be all right. Oh, we're all we're good to go. We're blessed. 100%. Akil, um, great to have you here. We've been trying to schedule this for a minute, but um, there's so much to get into. So do you want to just, like, kick things off and tell us who are you? Like, tell us a bit about yourself. What do you do? What makes you special? All that good stuff. <laughs> what makes me special? Flex a little Everything. bit. Flex a little bit. Everything makes me special. No, I'm kidding. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I just moved to Berlin from Toronto originally. Been like a creative producer there for a while and career-wise, working in advertising and recently made like a, you know, COVID was a crazy time for everyone. And I just think it really kind of just gave me the kick I needed to like make the pivot. And yeah. now I'm just doing it. And yeah, here I am. It's incredible, man. And I feel like, a lot of people like during the pandemic, like felt very restricted in terms of like what they can do, what they can't do, obviously by law. But I would say that like, sure. there's an overall like reset that I feel kind of happened with a lot of people and like, you know, myself included, definitely not to the same degree, but, um, you know, it's really incredible to see that like, and I said this before, and I said this to Dak before you even joined on, like ever since I'd known this guy, you've always talked about wanting to go do it. Uh, and tell us a little bit about like the process of moving from Toronto to Berlin. Like what did, like what happened there? Uh, it, it was like, it was a long process because, you know, I, I am, I'm half Italian. I have my European passport and moving here has been something that has been on my mind for so many years. Like we're talking, even applying to university, I applied all across Europe. Um, you know, I think, even as a youngster, like for me, it was the work-life balance that really was something I needed to change in. And also growing up in Toronto, I love Toronto. It's a dope city, but it just never mm. really felt like home. Mm. And I'll never forget reading this article from the New York Times. It was like 2016 or something. And it was an article about dating your city before you decide to commit. And I th- and it was it was so short. It was like 250 words. And I really wish it was like a long-winded kind of discussion, but... It was just about like, you know, just because you're born and raised in a certain place, it doesn't necessarily mean the place is for you. Like every city has its own culture. It has its own vibe. It has its own chemistry. And you should date around before you decide where you're going to spend the rest of your life. And I've always felt that. Like I love Toronto, born and raised, but damn, like I just never really felt like it was home. And I needed to explore a little bit. You know, I needed to get out of the comfort zone. I needed to do something that felt a little more right. Yeah, that's it's so interesting. I, I love that concept. <laughs> yeah, like let's let's dive into that for a sec. Like, you know, dating your city before you commit. Because to your point, so many people, you know, uh, I think there's a level of familiarity that exists in a lot of people that causes them to stay where they're at. You know what I mean? And it takes a lot for 
for someone to to get up and leave. You know, everything that you've really ever known uh, of a city. I mean, definitely didn't do it to the same degree. But even leaving Ottawa for me, like mm-hmm. Toronto, was like a big time move. And it's one of those things where I'm like, do I see Toronto as home or do I feel like it's home? Like, not really. Yeah. But I've made it what I want it to be uh, for myself. And I feel like in in your shoes, you're now like in a position where it's like you've made it. You finally like physically made it to the place that you've wanted to be for so long. And that's such an amazing story. I love that, man. And I love that for you because we've been talking about this forever. Tell us a little bit about what it's been like so far. Like it's been what? How many months? Like six months, five months? <laughs> No, it's been like four months. It's been, it's been, it's been dope, but it's been a little bit crazy. Like moving in the middle of pandemic. I mean, I feel like when you move to a new city, no matter where you're going, whether it's like, you know, whether it's provincial, whether it's international, et cetera, like you kind of have this period of the honeymoon phase where you're like, I'm on vacation. I'm somewhere new. Like I'm just going to explore. I'm going to check out these bars, et cetera. Like I got here, everything was locked down. I didn't know a single person. I was like, what the hell am I doing here? I, I feel like I skipped that whole honeymoon phase and just had to live. Like I just had to get down to business. Like, all right, what's next? I need to get an apartment. I need to get a job. I need to start networking. I need to start making some connections because like you said, Malik, like moving to a new city, you're rebuilding everything. Like even connections, you don't, you don't realize how much of a history you've built with people for so many years that you can be comfortable with them and call them your friend and call them up to help you move something or call them when you're upset or like, let's go for a drink, et cetera. Like I don't have that here and I'm starting brand new. And every single person I meet is like, okay, this is who I am. And this is my life story again. And like, you know what I mean? It's, it can be super, super tough, but it's been amazing as well. Like Berlin is a great city. It's huge. Um, I think the creative industry here, which is one of the big reasons why I moved is incredible. And everybody I've met has been so willing to give me like a helping hand. It's bizarre to me because in Toronto, um, you know, I, I made a lot of connections, but again like these were through people i've known for so many years and here i'm being lent a helping hand by everybody that i've known for like 15 minutes and they're like oh yeah i know someone i can connect you with and i know blah blah blah. and it's like wow that's that's hella cool and thank you so much like you know so yeah yeah it's been dope uh i've been able to explore the city a lot but at the same time like there's a lot of underlying difficult things that come with simple simple problems that would be a quick solution back home is a whole execution like it is a whole different situation when you're somewhere where you don't speak the language and you need I was going to say yeah. <laughs> yeah like for example yesterday I went to uh get a washing machine because we didn't have a washing machine and I was like all right cool like first of all I need to go to a neighborhood that I've never been to get this washing machine I don't have any friends to help me carry it. So the guy bought it off of his, like helping me carry it into this taxi. Then I bring it back to my apartment. I had like one friend help me bring it up, but then I'm like, how do I call the plumber? And like, what are these? I had to go plumber mode and start plugging things in on my own. And I was like, this would have been so much easier back home. I would have called my grandparents or my dad or something and be like, yo, I need the van. Let's go pick this shit up. Help me plug it in. And when you're here, you're just kind of like, I have to, I literally just have to do this by myself. Like everything is a huge execution. It's so like that thing, that kind of thing has been really hard. Even just trying to find out like, what is their version of Best Buy? What is their version of a Walmart, you know, (laughs) before I can get these small things that I couldn't take with me. Yeah. So, yo, I have like, I have two questions on that one to like, bring it back. You've kind of answered it a bit, but like why Berlin, why Germany? 
other than just the kind of, I guess, creative kind of industry there, as well as what was your approach when you, so you land there, you don't know people. Are you just a naturally extroverted guy? Like, did you go to certain events? It's also COVID. So yeah, how do you yeah. meet that first person that introduces you to yeah, the next you, and the next? And yeah, how do you pull up on actually, the Actually, that, that's actually a really cool um, situation because I was still in Toronto. So I was actually supposed to move to Berlin in September of 2020. Then COVID hit midsummer, and I was like, ah, like, let me push it back a little bit. And I went yeah. back. I quit my job. I went back to school because I wanted to experiment in filmmaking full time. So I was like, I just need a break from working. And um, I was actually talking to a producer that I had met um, that I had interviewed with a while back, didn't get the job, but we were still on good terms. And I was just like, Hey, let's have a conversation about, I don't know, just the industry. And, um, I was talking to her and I think the context of which we were talking about was about gigs in Toronto. So I was a bit hesitant to tell her that I was planning to move to Berlin in literally like a month and a half. But then I kind of, I was like, you know what, whatever I'm moving to Berlin. Do you know anybody? Can you help me out? What's your opinion? Et cetera. Yeah. And she ended up connecting me with this guy from Toronto who happens to be a Berlin native who connected me with his friends in Berlin. So when I got here, I was just very, you know, kind of like you said, Doc, I am a generally pretty extroverted person. I like going out for drinks. I like meeting people. Like I'm a pretty mm-hmm. social person. So I was like, yeah, whatever. I got here, met a ton of people who connected me to more people who connected me to more people. And kind of when you have that springing off point. I was able to kind of navigate it myself. Like, oh, these are the people I like. These, you know, we have something in common. Let me go for another drink with them. And like, mm-hmm. let's see what's going on. And, it, and it's not even necessarily in the, in the context of work, but also just to like get to know people with similar interests in a similar industry. You know, I'm here. I don't know anybody. Let's, let's do it. So yeah, that is yeah. really, really what happened. And then I knew one person here who we weren't even really friends, um, but we, we connected when we were here and we really hit it off. And we went to school together and never really hung out, but now we're very, very close. So, you know, it's kind of just like, you have to be open to new experiences. It can be super tiring. I will definitely say it can be so tiring, constantly introducing yourself to so many people, but it's been so much fun. So you have your elevator pitch down pat, I bet. Exactly. Yeah. Like (laughs) exactly. You know, and like, again, I love meeting new people. So coming here, I was just like, if you can introduce me to someone like, yeah, I'll go on like a friend date for sure. Like they're super fun. Let's do it. You know? Um, But why Berlin? Berlin, you know, I've been wanting to move to Europe generally for a while. I mean, I don't want to generalize all of Europe. Like every country has vastly different cultures and different Mm -hmm. chemistry. But I think generally in terms of Western Europe, there's just a very high value place on work-life balance. And that is something I struggle with in Toronto so, 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 so significantly. Like Mm -hmm. as someone who jumped from agency to agency and I was significantly unhappy, I felt like, I left at five and people were judging me. I wanted to go on vacation and people would question my motivation or my kind of dedication to the job. And it was, it was, it was ridiculous to me because I felt like I was doing what I needed to do yet still it's because I wasn't putting the hours in that I wasn't getting any kind of respect for it. And it it was just frustrating. I, I, I want to be able to, I spend 40 hours a week with you already. Like I have friends, I have family and I have other goals and projects I want to work on. When am I supposed to do this? Like there just seems to be no value in my experience placed on a work-life balance. And already I find such a significant difference here, especially in the summers where people are urged to travel. They have a, a wicked amount of vacation allotment. Like people here enjoy 
living, you know, and I, I couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore. It was such a disconnect. And especially the last agency I worked at, like it was just definitely the wall I hit where I was like, this is not sustainable for me anymore. It's not going to work here. People think I'm lazy, but I'm not, I'm not lazy. I just don't yeah. want to work till eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 PM. It's not a badge of honor for me. Like it's, I have other things I want to do, you know, and life is about balance. I was becoming severely unhappy. So, you know, Berlin's a big city with a really great economy, a great, really great creative industry. And it just made the most sense for me. Yeah. I think that's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a fantastic answer and let's dive into that a little bit more. Cause that was one of the things that we wanted to talk about. I mean, like I've known you personally for years now. Um, and I feel like to some degree we've kind of shared similar kinds of frustrations with, you know, what the advertising industry is like as a whole, like you nailed a couple of things there. It's like, um, you know, glorifying overworking, uh, glorifying, you know, struggle and, you know, mental health, you know, balance. Uh, and I feel like you, we, I don't think you're really going to ever escape that at least in the advertising industry yeah. in Canada or Toronto or wherever it is. And I feel like that's like, such a big deterrent. And one thing that I, I struggle with a lot is like, we talk about mental health and we talk about work-life balance, like seriously contributing to a lot of people's mental well-being, which I think is synonymous with each other. Where I think that things don't really make sense is that in advertising, we communicate that a lot. We say, Oh, mental health matters, mental health matters, mental health matters. But then, you know, you're, we're completely ignoring the issue when it comes down to like talking about, well, we need to drive business forward. We need to make money and we need to do this. So tell us a little bit about your thoughts on, you know, this, this viral tweet that, you know, we talked about a couple episodes ago and I'm going to read it out. To I, you. I listened to that episode, actually, the, well, the one about working on weekends. I'm so glad I listened to it because I have an opinion on that. Are you kidding me? Absolutely not. Like I am totally... I think it frustrates me so much that like time given into a job is equivalent to whether or not you can perform that job. Like I can't tell you the amount of hours I would come into the office and spend doing nothing but listening to Spotify all day. And that's because I didn't have anything to do. And realistically, I would always complete the tasks that I needed to get done. I, I, I valued my position and I valued the work that I was doing and I knew how to do it and I knew how to manage my own time. So why do I need to be a seat warmer? And uh-huh. Why do I need to give up my weekends? I already spend five out of seven days a week, 40 hours a week. Like that's more time than I spend with my family and friends. Like that's sad, you know, and how, you know, what, what, what frustrates me is a lot of these agencies and a lot of corporations in general talk a lot about mental illness, but what are you doing to help people? Because it's two completely different conversations. Like, yeah, you can, you can post bell talks. You can post all of these yeah kind of um, informational infographics on mental health and, and, and spreading awareness. Sure. But what are you doing for the people who are suffering? Because for yeah. me, I was so severely unhappy job after job after job thinking that I just, I couldn't do anything but focus on this job. Even when I was on vacation, I felt like my job was at jeopardy because I couldn't respond to something in a reasonable time or the fact that I even needed to check my email when I was on vacation or, oh, maybe yeah. my handoff wasn't as smooth as it, as it could have been. Oh, it was just all consuming. And it's like, this is, we live a limited amount of time on this earth. Like there is so much more than just working. And that's not to say that the work is not important because in some circumstances it is, but at the same time, like 
the people make the work. So if you're not taking care of your people, wh- like what are we doing? We're talking about deliverables and there, there's money on the line and there's, there's, you know, projects on the line and timelines, et cetera. But there are people, there are people on the line as well. And there just mm-hmm. seems to be such a disregard for that. And yeah, working on weekends, absolutely. I don't agree with that. I think people have, I think you, you mentioned that episode too, Doc, that a lot of people tend to correlate their career with their identity. And I think there's yeah. so much more to a person than their career. And mm-hmm. these assets of your identity come through in your spare time, right? Like there's so many small passion projects we want to pursue and even just spending time with your family, watching your nieces and nephews grow up and, and all of these, yeah. these, these, these small things that we tend to disregard in pursuit of of, of what, honestly, so that this mm-hmm. business can make money. A lot of the times I felt like I was working in a capacity where I couldn't even associate myself with the values of this company because it, they didn't live those values. And at the same time, I was doing nothing except for working so that someone else can make money. Like mm-hmm. it was no longer, it had nothing to do with me. It had nothing to do yeah. with the culture in which I'm living when, and the society in which I'm living in. So that's so yeah, interesting. I totally, I was just yeah, going to say, not to cut you off, sorry, but there's one thing in that that I think is like super important because a lot of where I think that like a lot of people's mental health really struggle is that they're talking about their job being their identity. But what you just said there made so much sense to me because I'm associating my job as like the, the fundamental piece or a piece of who I am. Mm-hmm. But if I'm not even in the picture and if it's not even about me, how do I represent myself? with that identity when it has nothing to do with me that's that's so and then and then you have so many people who are stuck in careers or have happened to find themselves fall into a career that they don't necessarily identify with right and so i I think it's i think it's i think it's interesting because we tend to ask people what they do as one of the first questions of when you meet someone and for me (laughs) especially when i was an account manager when i first started my career I would tell people like, oh yeah, I'm an account manager, but because I felt like I had to almost compensate because I I didn't feel like this was for the identity that has been built of what an account manager is. I didn't feel like I associated with, not that it was positive or negative. It just wasn't me. And I felt like, oh, I didn't want to be asked this question anymore. Like, this is not who I am. I'm so much more than just an account manager. And when you tell someone that they're going to make their own deductions about who you are as a person. And, you know, I felt like I took at this point, I've been five months not working, uh, just doing the move, kind of figuring out my life. And it's been an amazing period of time where I've been been able to like reflect on like who I am and what I want. And before I get back into this working industry, like what are my goals? And you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. kind of figuring out that, that disconnect between the job and the identity. Yeah. Yeah. I think that identity part is just so, is so valid because, um, you're right. Like often what you do is the least important thing about you or the least interesting thing about you. Right. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I've made a conscious effort when I meet people and that question comes up that I actually say, like, I run a podcast first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like, like what I, are your hobbies? You know, what do you hobby? like to do like, for fun? Product designer is one of the last things I say, because yeah. let's not talk about that. Like I talk about that all day at work. Right. So I, I think more people even need to start doing that is, is you're not tied to your position. A hundred percent. You are, I remember saying this one time at an agency and people looked at me very weird when I just said, we're all replaceable. And I feel like 
people have too much importance thinking that their account management effort is top of the notch and no mm-hmm. one could ever replace them. If they mm-hmm. were to miss a day, the account would collapse. And yeah. I'm like, yeah. nah, man, like we can, we can run without you, you know? Well, I mean? well, so, even <laughs> on that same point, you know, I find a lot of people will pride themselves or wear a badge of honor, like I said, because they work super late or they don't take yeah. sick days or they don't take vacation days. And it's like, that's great. But do you really think the agency cares enough? Because when they have to cut you, they'll cut you. So the yeah. fact that you're sacrificing all of the important things in your life for this agency, like I don't feel like that feeling is reciprocal. A lot of people tend to forget to take care of themselves first. Yeah. Especially well, in a working capacity. One, It's, it's a fantastic it. point there because you know, it, it goes back to, and I, I don't know, I love, I love both of your thoughts on this, but I feel like agency culture, and maybe this is a statement that maybe pushing the boundaries a little bit. Would you agree? And let's start here that agency culture is kind of like from agency to agency built on the premise of keeping people like having that be a part of their identity. And therefore, I would say encouraging them to feel like they're a part of something. And maybe that's just a big illusion that, you know, it's not. I totally agree with that. Actually, I had a very interesting conversation with a friend of mine a couple of nights ago, and we were just talking about career pivots and just kind of the working conditions in the age of COVID. And one of the things she mentioned was she was living in Dublin at a time working um, at a company that she didn't like. But it's easy to forget that you don't like it or you don't associate with the values or even the work that you're doing when you're in a place where they're kind of feeding you this um, kind of ideology and this dream that it's like, we're the best. You're so lucky to be here. Look at the career goals that you're going to have while you're here. Free coffee, dogs in the office, blah, 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 blah. Like it goes on and on and on and on. Right. And, And then COVID hit. And everyone's working from home now. And now the focus is no longer the dogs or even the people you work with. Like for me, a lot of what kept me at the places that I didn't feel happy at was the people who I loved so much and I would see every day and they became my friends. Um, When you take all of that away and strip it down to the bare necessities of like, what are you doing on a day-to-day basis? It really forced a lot of people to be like, what am I doing here? Like when you take away the dogs and you take away the ping pong tables, like, what yeah. is it about this place that I like? And what is it about this job that I, I enjoy? And what is important to me when, you know, I think again, COVID made people realize that like our health comes first before anything without health, we are nothing. And it's all the small things like seeing your friends at a bar or like going to your nephew's birthday and all these small things that really matter, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I what think, job is going to yeah. allow me to have this balance I, yeah, I, I think yeah, it's, it's it's totally legit, man. And I feel like COVID's been a big factor of a lot of people, including myself, to make a, mm. a career change. Like I realized, oh, I mean, I'm not gonna lie. Like I got it got to a point from where I was at before where I realized I'm like, okay, I don't want to do this anymore. And I think mm-hmm. that I can do something that's a little bit in the realm of my interest. You know what I mean? Again, I respected the job. I respected the position. I respected the people around me, but it was just one of those moments where I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? man?" like, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't, I don't feel like I, I don't feel like I'm contributing to anything. And I made a move to somewhere where now I'm enjoying what I do and it's fun. 
Um, but again, that's the least interesting part about me. But I feel like a, a, <laughs> my, point, my yeah. point being is that I feel like a lot of people have have realized that because of COVID, and you strip away the you know the the the, the curtains and the, the bells and whistles, and yeah, all that kind of stuff. And like when it comes down to like what what are we about here? I realized quick that I'm like, man, like I just miss rocking with the people beside me. And like, I miss like going out for a drink after work and, you know, just yeah. talking about, damn, that day, that day was shitty or that meeting sucked, didn't it? Like that kind yeah. of stuff that I feel like has, has completely changed uh, at least the industry advertising industry and forced a lot of people to really realize that, you know, maybe we got to get the fuck out of here. They're saying it. Figure something out. Yeah. Yeah. It's that. easier to, it's easier to work after five when, you know, you're in a boardroom with your coworkers, you can order some takeout. Exactly. And you can chill and work it's on a whole something. experience. <laughs> but when you're at home, just solo dolo working after five, that hits and you're like, I yeah. got to reassess this. This is not You're it. like, what <laughs> am I doing? And if this is forever, is this it? Like if yeah. this is forever, oh my gosh, this is sad. Like yeah. I can't. <laughs> and, and also like, it's like, this was a big thing for me during COVID or the beginnings of COVID. It's like, I would wake up early, start work, and then work late, go to bed, rinse and repeat for for months. And it was like, mm-hmm. yeah, I feel like there's no separation between me and my workplace anymore, which was what I appreciate about like going into a physical space to work that maybe yeah. I didn't realize psychologically as much. But now I'm like, okay, I'm I'm going to value separating my work from you know my life. And I think that like COVID's done a number on trying to figure out, okay, how does this balance really work out? Yeah. And I think it also gave a lot of people opportunity because, you know, when you're at home working and you have a day where there's not much going on, you can actually focus on a couple other things that are a little more important to you. And then, you know, when you have offices saying like, you need to come back full time, it's like, really? Because I was able to manage my time, still do my job and also find time for the things that are important to me outside of this job. And, it's crazy to me that these companies preach caring about their workers, but do you? Because if you did, I think you should value this ability for them to manage their own time and also pursue the things that are interested in them because that's what's going to keep them mentally present. Yeah, Otherwise, yeah. you have a lot of people that check out, they're miserable, and it just becomes a really dark spiral like it really does. Yeah, and, and leaves a lot of people unhappy. But, Dak, jump in there. Exactly. I want to switch. I want to switch gears a little bit, but still talking about the the identity piece. Yeah. Um, something I'm curious to get both of your perspectives on is personal branding in your career. So I feel like years ago, especially when we were in school at Humber, it was always driven that you know you're working in advertising, you want to build your personal brand. Whether you're writing blogs, making YouTube videos, stuff like that, posting on LinkedIn to really show that. You know, you're speaking on panels that you're within this industry, you have a perspective and you really um, are striving to be, you know, that top professional in advertising. With us talking about like not having your identity be tied to your career, how do you approach personal branding, especially you, Akil, to show that you are a creative producer and you can get freelance clients, but still allowing your other passions outside of film and production to to shine like how do you how do you navigate that i guess like how much work do you put into your personal brand um i don't actually put too much work into my personal brand i do just try and be myself especially when it comes to my social media i mean i don't even i kind of post what i feel like i want to and i don't what i don't feel like i want to but i definitely feel that personal branding is incredibly important and a lot of people don't um 
consider that. Like, let's even talk about in the age of TikTok, where, you know, there are so many, especially producers, music producers on TikTok, putting out a song and they're hoping it'll be a hit. And it's like, yeah, that's dope. And it might be a hit. It might not. But it all comes down to like, who are you outside of this space? Like, even people who don't care about branding, subconsciously care about branding like the the brands and the people and the things you associate yourself with are so much a reflection of your personal values and beliefs so branding is inescapable so i think in that in that context um for me i think my personal branding comes down to like not trying to be anything that i'm not like these are the things i like this is what i look like this is the kind of stuff i'm going to post and this is kind of stuff i'm going to talk about and this is who i am and i think in the space that i want to work in and like the creative industry and in filmmaking and production like i don't really have anything else to prove other than these are my beliefs and a lot of the work i'm going to produce is going to come as a result of who i am so mm-hmm. there's no kind of facade that i'm putting up but yeah i yeah. do think it's interesting. And you don't really have a conscious effort i guess like you're not exactly. strategic about what yeah. i put out it's just you you're just posting exactly i mean mind you I'm, I'm coming from someone who doesn't i don't have a massive following or anything to cater to and i think it would be a little sure. bit different for someone like a ricky thompson or you know what i mean mm-hmm. like a, a Nicki mm-hmm. minaj it's like you are this person and now you have to maintain this persona that you've created right so yeah. it's tough there's a balance and i think there's like especially on social media like a blurred line between authenticity and also maintaining some sort of brand presence you know everything yeah. is a brand like it's inescapable it's impossible we can hate it as much as we want but everything and everyone is a brand it's you know it's Definitely. it's really true and you said it best it, like you you build something up for yourself and then you have to maintain it which i would i would say is like for young people coming up in advertising, like we all went to school and like they say like, oh, the, here's how you should take this picture of yourself or this is how you should, you know, put the bullet points so mm-hmm. that the employer sees the thing first or this is who you should be yeah, on yeah. social media and have a presence, all that kind <laughs> of stuff. And I feel like people get to a certain point of like not really understanding what that is, but just following the direction and being like, okay, this is what I need to do to be successful. Yeah. And in the process – lose really who they are and i feel like there's a lot yeah. of there's a lot of like i'd say but uh not fakeness but it's like uh, a lack of authenticity when it comes to certain people yeah. like i follow certain people uh, and they have like they put a lot of effort into like their personal brand and you know making exactly. sure that their brand guidelines for themselves are being followed <laughs> and, and all that kind of stuff which i respect because it takes a lot of work to be able to do but like Part of me realizes that like you're so focused on presenting to me who you want me to perceive you as versus me actually mm-hmm. understanding who the fuck you are. And I feel like that yeah. gets in the way of me mm-hmm. understanding like so many people. And I feel like in advertising, there's like a big facade of people trying to be like, this is who I am. This is who I work for. This is what I represent. But I'm like, yeah. who are you? Yeah. I mean, I totally agree with that. I think, I think in the context of like who you are, I don't think, you know, there are definitely rules and ways to do it. Like we've all learned it. We've all worked in advertising. There's certain strategies that are effective and certain pathways and avenues that are proven to be more effective. But at the same time, people who do it and they do it all the right ways still manage to fail because we're humans and we can detect when something doesn't feel real or authentic. And it's all about understanding who you are in the context of this framework of what branding is and finding your own kind of way through it. Right. And that may not always be the more traditional way. Like 
you need to know the rules in order to break the rules, but I think breaking the rules is incredibly important and understanding who you are in the context of the greater scheme of things will help you navigate like, okay, I will have a branding presence and I will put all my effort into this social media, but it's going to feel like me. It's almost like when it comes to like fashion and clothing, like, yeah, you can buy the newest, like, UGG Telfar collab. You can buy the newest, like whatever, but it's all about how you own it and how you wear it and how it feels Mm -hmm. and looks on you because how you feel in it is going to kind of, it's going to come through. Like we can all detect that, like that energy coming off of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I I always kind of think like, do you need that presence? And when I was just kind of reflecting, like in my career and advertising, especially it's helped me so much to have that personal brand that I cared for having the mad mix of something I could always speak to just being present and being out there helped me a lot in interviews shifting towards tech. I I've like done coaching with some students and it always kind of comes up as to like, how do I brand myself now that I've graduated? And I kind of think because does the most visible designer or most visible producer mean the best? Mm-hmm. No, but as like a student, you look at it as, I need to be that person making YouTube tutorials or I need to be that person on LinkedIn constantly and me telling them that that doesn't equate to success, but also really caring about my own personal branding Mm -hmm. doesn't really align. So I'm kind of curious, how do you guys, do you think you can succeed in this industry, whether it's marketing or advertising or film production without having a social presence? I think you can, but I think you have to be very determined to, you have to bring a lot of people together. You have to be very convincing and persuasive because otherwise you wouldn't have anything to show them as like a record of, you know, like who you are. your brand yeah. is essentially your portfolio. Right. And it's, it, it's weirdly a sense of legitimacy. Uh, we've just come yeah. to this point in technology where it's unavoidable. And when someone doesn't have a portfolio online, but they tell you they're a really great designer, it's like, okay, but what can you show me? And what have you done? You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's like a lack of trust. I think it's totally possible. I just think there's a lot more groundwork that has to go into it. Not that there's not yeah. a lot of groundwork that goes into personal branding, but a lot more behind the scenes groundwork of like bringing people together who will like trust you, you know, and like mm-hmm. networking. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably the most like important thing. Which is a piece of personal branding, right? Like if you're not yeah. doing networking and you're not doing, you don't have a portfolio, you have nothing, then you're just kind of a sitting duck for the yeah. most part. So yeah. there is an aspect that everyone needs to jump on board, play the game a little bit. Yeah, definitely. I think that, I think that there's a level of playing the game to your point that you need to do to like get yourself out there doing the things that you want to achieve. Like I don't like nothing's yeah. really ever going to like come to you because you're just naturally talented at something. Yeah. There's someone has to find you. You have to find someone. You have to, you know, build up who you are to an extent. I don't really have like a big social presence or anything like that other than just like being on Instagram or being on TikTok or whatever it is. But I think that like, there's a level of like authenticity that you have to kind of project like from yourself to like allow other people to like buy into who you are. And I think that just comes with your point of kill, just being a fucking regular person and like being someone to talk to. (laughs) Like I'd rather have a conversation with like someone. And not trying to be something you're not. Yeah. Because people can detect that. Like we're not idiots. And I think as humans, we can like, detect an energy that feels a little bit off even though if we can't quite put our finger on it we know there's something that feels weird about even just this picture we see on social media or this kind of identity that someone's presenting and it's like "Mm, doesn't really feel like them right like 
Yeah, it's like, who it's are you? I'm orchestrated here. I'm not yeah. really feeling <laughs> Yeah. No, I'm, I'm right there with you. But I would say, okay, so keeping the theme of identity, uh, we have to kind of like, we had to talk about this. And I felt like, you know, you uh, would be an excellent person to get, to give a solid perspective on this. Like being a black guy uh, in advertising uh, is definitely not an easy thing. I mean, we've all done it. The three of us have done it. And I feel like there's a level of like, not identity crisis, but like almost a conflict of identity when it comes to the advertising industry for people of color. Give us your perspective Mm -hmm. a little bit on like what it was like to you to kind of try and find yourself, you know, in the process of being a young person coming up in the industry while also kind of just like trying to be authentically you in a system that may not favor that. Oh, that was like a very long journey and I don't think it really hit me until I was, I'm going to say it, but when I was at Cassette on the McDonald's account um, and we were looking at the reel over the last 10 years, I was being onboarded and we're looking at this reel and I realized there is no one that looks like me on any one of these commercials in the past 10 years. Like, isn't that bizarre? does no one else find this uncomfortable? Like I'm watching this and it's the same people over and over. Um, And then being in spaces where, you know, a ton of microaggressions, a ton of them. And, you know, I think a lot of people like to disregard it. And I think the conversation has shifted definitely from when I started, but a lot of people would just disregard it. But it's like a million of these microaggressions contribute to this larger idea. And I felt like, you know, I couldn't grow up my hair and I've been wanting to do it for so long. I felt like I couldn't get certain tattoos in certain places because I had to present myself in a certain way. And I'm also around so many people that just don't look and act and speak like me. And they, it was just, it was very different. And this is also coming from like a light skin, like black men, you know what I mean? And they're, 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 this is the whole issue of colorism and what it's like for a dark skinned woman or a dark skinned black man is even tenfold you know and I even felt like when I started growing my hair out in my last job that I was just being treated a little bit differently or you know a little bit uneasiness of presenting me to clients it's things like this and yeah it it was definitely a tough navigation and for me um it also came through and just the work that we did and the people we casted for these projects and it was it was frustrating for me it was so frustrating for me yeah, yeah and, um like I, I i get it like you know what i mean and i feel like you you said it best with like the microaggressions piece because like the concept of hair just being a natural part of your body that you just and identity let's not forget yeah um is just something that grows and no one would bat an eye if i mean people would would talk if you know a white woman with you know uh who's a brunette, let's say, walks in the next day and she's blonde. Everyone's like, oh, wow, like, look at that. Like, that's crazy. It looks so good. Ha, 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 Like, great. And then, but if it's like, but I've, I've always found that, like, when it comes to, like, a black person doing something with their hair, that's different. Or that's, like, mm-hmm. the, whoa, like, what's going on here? Like, there's, there's a level of that that I think that exists in the industry that, uh, is incredibly problematic. And I don't think a lot of people truly understand what that's like. And yeah, uh, you yeah. know, I, I think that you, I think that you really said it best there. 
And that's when it really hit me where I started realizing, okay, there's not many people other than Malik um, that look like me and people are confusing us for the same person over and yeah. over. For everyone <laughs> listening right now that can't see, like they'll see when we post a picture, you guys look nothing alike. Nothing and I, alike. Yeah, and I was like, why are you calling me Malik? Like, well, well and, and Akil, it was the same thing with me and Dak. When we used to work together, people yeah. would confuse us all the time. And like, all I look time. nothing like Dag, and I look nothing yeah. like you. You know what I mean? And I always felt that like that was just such a fucking weird thing that existed that I never really understood. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think it definitely contributed to me. You know, I think over this whole pandemic and just spending a lot of time at home, reflecting, reading a lot, watching a lot of YouTube videos, the whole Black Lives Matter movement that was a global civil rights movement, like a revolutionary movement that happened in our, you know, with remnants of it still happening right now. Um, yeah. I started to realize like, okay, like this is, this is strange. I'm in a place where there's, I started to look around and realize no one looks like me and the work is, am I being hypersensitive or is this work just not reflecting an actual population of diversity in Toronto? And, you know, it started to really, Oh, it really started to get to me and me growing my hair out in a weird way was a sort of rebellion. And I was like, I don't care what you think anymore. I'm going to come in. It's going to look super messy. Like my cornrows been in eight weeks. Like they should have been taken out. But like I'm coming in. I don't care because, you know, Stacy can come in with a super messy bun and it's super fine. But when I come in with like raggedy cornrows, like people are looking at me sideways. I just stopped caring. And I was like, I'm going to wear what I want. I'm going to look the way I want because this should have no reflection on the work I do. And if, and if it does, and there's some sort of consequence then that says enough for me. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's this aspect of code switching that every black person ever has been taught and just growing up, you're taught that, you know, you need to make these white people feel comfortable and you can't, you know, grow your hair out or you can't speak a certain way that you would with your friends because you have to fit their aspect of professionalism. Mm -hmm. And I feel like over the years I've gone away from that feeling that I need to code switch. Like I can now bring my true self into work. And that doesn't mean I'm speaking in full Toronto slang because that's a communication issue, right? But (laughs) I'm also not acting a certain way and conforming um, against who I actually am. I feel like I'm bringing my actual true self to work. And I wish more people could could feel that. Yeah, because at the end of the day, you want to work somewhere that appreciates you for who you are. You know what I mean? All of you, yeah. Yeah, like I want to, I'm tired of working at these companies that preach inclusion and preach, you know, they'll preach till they're blue in the face. But at the, sa- at the same time, you're like, what are you actually doing? Because everybody here looks the same. All the work we're producing is the same. Um, there seems to be no change or shift in attitudes or behavior other than this like futile conversation that at the end of the day is being like spoken to on a microphone by the the white man head of this company. Like where is the woman on international women's day speaking to us? Where is the black leadership team speaking to us, you know, during black history month? Like what, what is happening? You know, this is, I'm very much disconnected and I'm no longer drinking this Kool-Aid. I, you know, I, I definitely feel like in the last year I've been radicalized in terms of my sense of, what I'm looking for and what I want, you know, and my tolerance levels for things that are not genuine, yeah. especially in the branding space. So many companies during pride month, putting up rainbow on their, 
um, on their logos, but like, what are you actually doing? You know what I mean? Like, what are you actually doing? And that's, I just don't have any tolerance for it anymore. I'm just so at my wits end. And I feel like this is the kind of attitude that will get me somewhere and will hopefully push places to realize like, okay, we, we actually need to care, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh shit. We so, actually, we need to do something about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I feel like, uh, anyone listening throughout this podcast probably wants us to ask this question and maybe it's a tough question, but a black man moving to Berlin, you were in Toronto before, which I'm assuming is more diverse than Berlin, but can you speak to, maybe that's ignorance. Can you speak to what it's like being a black man in Berlin as well as now working in Berlin? Um, so I've only been here four months, so I don't want to overgeneralize, but I will speak on my experience alone. I definitely feel like there are a lot less black people here for sure. And you can even tell that in the sense of like finding a barbershop was so difficult <laughs> for me. And the only barbershop I could find online was a barbershop called Ebony and Ivory. And I was like, oh my God's <laughs> name. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, what is this name? You know, um, on the other, on the other, on the the other side of the same coin, Berlin is a super, super queer positive city, which is something I've Sweet. never experienced. I mean, Toronto is a very inclusive city, but the queer positivity here is like tenfold. Like it is a city for queer people. It's such a safe space in that sense. I do think there needs to be a change in terms of like the diversity, especially because there's a huge Turkish population here as well. Um, there's, there's, it just seems to be not very many black people or not a lot of visibility for black people. But I do think the Berlin youth, in my experience, again, just speaking with people are very politicized as much as we are. So it's not something that's not in conversation. And um, when I was looking for a job and kind of speaking to and looking at the work at different production houses here and different organizations in the fashion industry and in all of these creative industries, they do make a conscious effort to make them very, very inclusive. And it's not even to the sake of putting a black person or a gay couple on screen. It's like having cast and crew and like strategists and a whole team behind this production that are actually a part of this group that can say something about this story because there's nothing that frustrates me more than seeing a story told by people who've not lived in that experience. And it's like your whole production team, are straight white men like what are what is this what do you what do you actually know about this experience other than like creating this script that seems yeah, like, like you're you're yeah, just doing disingenuous yeah like you're yeah, just you're you know it. like you know yeah and so from my experience here it just seems like a lot there's there's a lot more legwork being done again like i don't want to speak for toronto as a whole or berlin as a whole but just in my minimal experience and yeah. the conversations I've had, I definitely do see a difference. Um, but as a black man here, yeah, it, it can be difficult to navigate. I don't feel like I've seen very many people that look like me, or maybe I'm just not in the right spots. But I'm also huge city. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's also a huge city. So yeah, you know. Yeah. Well, listen. Uh, before we let you go, um, this has been an amazing episode. We want to know, like, what's next? Like, tell us, like, what's the plan, man? Like, where? Wh- what's the next move? Um, I think the beauty is I don't really have a particular next move. Uh, right now I, you know, accepted a position in the fall that will be working at a fashion and lifestyle e-commerce platform and as a shoot, as a shoot producer doing film and video content, which is really what I want to do. The work they create is 
amazing, like short film content, documentary series, like very, very good stuff. Um, I'm just going to do that and kind of just feel it out. I mean, really at this point, there's no rigid framework of where I want to be next other than like, I'm going to go where the work takes me and what feels good to me. But um, I want to continue producing cool stuff. I want to continue writing and directing my own work and working with cool people and, and making some dope projects on the side. And like, I don't know, we'll see what happens. Anything can happen, you know? Yeah. Love what's it. your, before we, before we fully wrap, what's your like two to three bullet point advice for someone that wants to work in a different country? Like how do they go about it? Just really, really short. <laughs> it's hard, but it's so worth it. Like it's so worth it. I mean, before I left, I saved a huge chunk of money and yep. it was killing me when I was here seeing my savings deplete. And, you know, I mean, I'm 27 years old. I don't really need parental approval to do something like this, but I would call my mom and I was like, you won't like all my money is gone. You know, like, what am I doing? And she was like, kill this is what you saved your money for. Like, what else would you be doing? What, what are you going to do? And it was so, I mean, it was amazing to have that support because I feel like no matter how old you get, you always kind of want the backing of your family and friends and the support. But it was also so true. Like we live in a world where we feel like we're rushed to buy a home and have kids and get married and like save all your money and invest and like in stocks and blah, 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 blah. But it's like, save it for what? Other than these types of experiences, right? We're at an age right now, we're making a career pivot and moving across the world is so within our scope and so within our reach of things that we're able to do and there's still so much time so why the hell not i would definitely say if you even think about doing it do it there's there's literally no reason not to and if all else fails go home and at least you can say you tried mm-hmm. Dang. That's, that's <laughs> a, yeah that's the perfect ending right there i think <laughs> Akil, it's been amazing having you on the podcast. Um, Definitely more conversation we're going to have on social media within this kind of identity space, which is great that we had a whole chance to talk about that. So thank you so much, man. Thank you, guys, man. It was really nice catching up. Yeah, man. 100%. It's good to see you, man. Like, listen, like uh, outside of the podcast, outside everything, you've been a good friend of mine for for as long as I've known you. So uh, it's really great to catch up and I hope to see you on the other side of the world one day. If you're ever here, you have a place to say you know it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Hopefully near the black barber shop, though. <laughs> Hopefully near the only black barber shop. Though. Shout out Urban Cuts. That's my spot now. <laughs> Let's go. All right. Episode 19. That was it. Episode Thank 19. you. Thank you so much. Uh, tune in. Uh, and, and, you know, we'll be back next time. Peace. Peace.